What's up, everyone? We have some very exciting news over here at Study Notes ABA. You heard it here first. Today is the last day to sign up with the early bird discount for our live collective. We're starting the live collective on September 18th, but up until tonight, you can use the code EARLYAF and take $50 off any of the live winter collective packages. We are so excited to walk you through the entire task list, make studying not suck, and have so much fun with you. So head over to www.studynotesaba.com and sign up to study with your favorite bitches. Love you. Mean it. Study Notes ABA. ABA in a little X-rated way. It's behavior bitches. Hey guys, it's Liat and Casey. And we are here with episode 146. Casey, what do you have for us today? All right, today's episode is 146. So, 146, today's guest is a badass chick. Six that and rhymes. chick. Okay. I, I Googled it, it rhymes. Six and chick? Yeah. You know, like the the, sec- the secret is that you actually you look the secret to knowing about rhyming is like you look at the end. Like like if you would do like cat A T, it'd be like dat D A T. But whatever. It's it's cute, it's close. Well, we'll go with it. Okay, let's get into our review of the day to pump ourselves up because I kind of came in here in a tiz. Uh, realizing that I forgot to pick Kobe up. He's been at the library for the last hour and a half, and I forgot that I was his ride. So (laughs) just your son. Getting him. Here we go. That's my son, by the way. (laughs) All right. So we had a really great review today from MJT exclamation point two two. Cool. Never liked podcast until I listened to yours. Used to hate listening to people read things and talk, but I made myself give you two a try. I started by listening to the latest episode, Complex PTSD and Other Issues with guest Dr. Ingrid. Loved it. Multiple times I said out loud to myself, yes, it all makes sense. I am currently going for my master's in ABA and the plan is to graduate next year, either summer or fall. I have started from the beginning episodes of your podcast and will continue listening to them. Thank you for explaining all things ABA in a non-ABA way. Well, that's amazing because that's our goal. So we're accomplishing it. Nice work. (laughs) Thanks for leaving the review. And anyone, if you have not left a five-star review, go leave an effing five-star review. How many times do I have to beg you? I don't want to beg here. (laughs) Just kidding. But if you have something nice to say, go write it, please. And if you have nothing nice to say, don't write it. All right. So today's guest I'm super excited about. Um, Just a little foreplay to our episode. Uh, I had seen something pop up on Instagram. It was a while ago because this podcast has been like in the making, Uh, meaning like we had to cancel, you know, like life gets in the way in between. Um, It was actually on Instagram. I think it was People. People Magazine had posted like this hot girl. And I like was like, let me read the story. (laughs) And then I started reading about it. And I was like, this is amazing. I am going to reach out to this guest. And this this hot girl said yes to coming on the show. So <laughs> if in case you're really excited now, we're going to let you know all about it. Casey, can you introduce us to our guest? I would love to. Um, so her name is Jessica Grossman. She's the founder and spokesperson of Uncover Ostomy. She was diagnosed with Crohn's disease at the age of eight. That is very young. Um, between the ages of 13 or 11 and 13, she was bedridden in the hospital. And after a ton of diets, tests, medications that were worse than the disease itself, she had to make a choice. It was ostomy surgery or death. And if you don't know what ostomy is, she's going to explain it all to you today. Um, but The moral of the story is that since her surgery, she has been able to lead a pretty normal life, um, get her undergraduate degree at the University of Western Ontario, master's degree at New York University, runs her own digital marketing agency in Toronto, and is married to the love of her life, Matt, 
And I say that with emphasis because me too. <laughs> that's my husband's <laughs> name. <laughs> but anyways, Jessica, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you both so much for having me. And thank you for the compliment, you know. Like yeah. hot girl. All right. I mean, there was okay, there was that one image of the 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 dress, the the wedding dress, right? Like you were able oh, to Oh my wedding dress. Yes. Like Oh, that was from so long ago. Yeah. Oh my goodness. When I saw that, I was like, this is just amazing. And you looked stunning. So but anyways, can you Thank just you. tell everyone kind of your backstory? I know I said a little bit, but nothing to probably what you went through, so. <laughs> okay, so it, it is quite a long story, so I'm not gonna, you know, bore you with the 100 pages of content. But, um, so yes, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease when I was very little. Um, I actually had lost five pounds when I was eight years old, and you shouldn't be losing five pounds when you're eight years old. So after a ton of different um, tests from different doctors, uh, and also my uncle, my dad's brother having Crohn's disease, it was pretty obvious that that's what I had too. So I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. I was relatively okay between the ages of nine and 11, like managing my diet, taking some medication. Um, and then I ended up getting a stomach flu um, at the age of 11, like totally separate. It was definitely a stomach flu, but it triggered my Crohn's disease. And after that, I, I just was sick. Like I was constantly sick for two years. Um, I was in constant pain. I couldn't eat. I was throwing up. I was bleeding internally, um, losing weight, like basically unable to lift my head off the pillow. And the days that I could do that, I would try to go to school, but then I'd be up all night, you know, sick. Um, and so I would be in the hospital, uh, for a week, two weeks, a month at a time, they would try and send me home to live a normal life. And obviously that was very difficult. Uh, at one point they even sent me home with my own IV machine. Well, they wanted me to go to school and I wasn't able to eat for uh, most of the time I was sick. So I would have nutrition pumped through an IV machine and then go to school th uh, during the day, but that didn't last very long. And um, diets weren't working, medications weren't working. And I ended up being in so much pain that I was on a hell of a lot of narcotics for a 13 year old. Wow. Um, and then one day, um, this is all, you know, still hazy to me because I was 13 and on a lot of Demerol, which apparently they don't prescribe anymore, which I found out recently. Um, but I was on a lot of it. And a surgeon sat down next to me and said, you know, you're at the point where a decision has to be made. Um, you've your disease has progressed. Um, you're uh, entering into a stage of toxic megacolon, where essentially your colon is so diseased that it turns toxic and you get sepsis and die from that. Um, so either let that happen or have your colon removed, live with an ostomy bag and, and you know, see what happens. So again, in a haze of, <laughs> of medication at 13 years old, I was like, well, I guess I don't want to die. So I might as well have surgery. And literally like three days later, I was in an eight hour long surgery, had my colon removed and some of my small intestine about six feet uh, and was given an six ileostomy feet? bag. Six feet. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot. <laughs> it's just crazy. You're like, I mean, you hear about how long <laughs> the intestines are, but like at age 13, you're like, you could even fit six feet of something like <laughs> in someone's like, yep. mm -hmm. wild. Yeah. And what's even crazier is so the, the surgeon happened to be a family friend of like my parents and, and grandparents obviously wasn't friends with him. Um, but because we were friends, my dad got special permission to have photos and videos of my surgery taken. So I literally have a photo of me on the operating table. You don't see my head. You don't see my crotch area. You just see my abdomen. And the way the ostomy works is they um, cut a circle in your skin and they pull the intestines through. And then once they're at the end of the disease part, they cut it, fold it over and sew it. So at the point where they pulled it out, they literally laid it on my, my chest and my abdomen. And you can see the six feet, how diseased it was all the way up until the little end where my stone. What does it look like? And it literally looked like a cat had ripped it to shreds. Like I'm not even, oh. it's, it's huge. It's swollen in different parts. It's red, it's white. It's, and then you see the perfectly smooth, stoma part at the end that just it looks like you would think an organ looks like just red and pink and smooth it was it's insane That's i have crazy. the photo obviously podcast and like trigger warning it's not nice but wow. it, like i saw those six feet 
and it it's a lot and it was all really really bad so yeah whoa is wild so Mm -hmm. okay you were 13 years old right you said Mm -hmm. yep 13 years old that is not an easy time of life to go through anything that makes you Mm -hmm. any sort of different I'm talking like even if you are wearing a different pair of shoes than every girl (laughs) is wearing at age 13 it's like you know one of my friends has a what is she 14 year old daughter and like I go to her house and I'm like holy shit is there like a uniform all these girls have to wear? Like they're all wearing the exact same thing, mm-hmm. like, and and it changes, and like it's like they're all one thing. They're all like in these spiritual gangster outfits, and I'm like, then the next thing they're in like these matching Lulu tennis skirts mm-hmm. and like white mm-hmm. like Nike Air Force Ones, and I'm like, this is literally like everyone is just like thriving to look the same when you are 13 years old. And I just mm-hmm. go back to myself being like, mom, I really need a juicy outfit. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm just like, that stage of your life, was that not like. Difficult? <laughs> difficult, like heartbreaking, you know? I mean, what what's interesting about my childhood is, so I went to a private school, um, basically from junior kindergarten up until I was 13 until grade eight. And so I'd grown up with the same kids. And before I had gotten really sick, um, I actually did not fit in anyway. Uh, The private school, you had these rich families that they all had the juicy suits. They had Uggs when they came out. Lululemons came out back then. And my family didn't have those things. and, And I didn't have those outfits or, you know, the latest technology or whatever it was. And so before I had really gotten sick, I actually was an outcast already. Um, didn't have a lot of friends, was really, really shy and awkward anyway. So when my disease progressed and I ended up in the hospital, you know, of course I got the cards from my class because the teachers made them do it, <laughs> but I really didn't, I had maybe one or two people visit me in the two years that I was in the hospital. Like I really didn't have any visitors. And so I think as sad as this sounds, like I had already been in a place where I was an outcast and didn't have a lot of friends that like, that wasn't really something that I thought about, um, which is very unfortunate. But I think what it did is it it made it a little bit easier, I guess, because that I wasn't like, oh, well, why aren't my friends coming to visit me? I was like, well, I'm not, I don't really have that many friends. So, you know, they already make fun of me. So whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, which that's so depressing to look back and say now. No, I feel, the what same, it was like. I, I feel the same way. Like I didn't have any money in my family to have those things either. So like when there was a new, like, oh, it's, everyone has this North face, uh, like jacket, whatever it was. It's like, yeah, I'm not going to fit in. I don't have Uggs. I like mm-hmm. look back on my pictures when I was in middle school and I like with all my friends, they would all be in like the same outfit and I would be like wearing like goodwill, like a cheetah bell and like these like awkward like whatever was a hand-me-down I'd like make my own stuff like I'm like whatever yeah I tried that too but yeah so I think for me it was just like you know I'm already kind of in that situation I need to focus on my health anyway I, I I think it helped like I didn't feel as much as I was missing out on hanging out with my friends because I wouldn't have been invited anyway. <laughs> You're like, this is like so, kind of cool though. I've got these like hospital nurses. Like these are my new, my new peeps. <laughs> I, I had Nintendo to play with, you know? So I think, yeah, that, that was the easiest part of it. Um, out of, out of everything. I think what was more difficult was trying to like maintain where I was in my childhood in terms of my education and my development, because I would still have to go through school. Like I was still trying to do homework and tests. And Mm -hmm. I guess that was the benefit of being in a private school. You know, I've paid for my grades, you know, (laughs) just to (laughs) to keep going. Right. Um, That was the only time I worked very hard after that. Um, But yeah, I think that was the friendship piece and fitting in was literally the the least of my concerns at the time. So I want to ask something kind of personal. When you woke Oh really? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) When you woke up after the surgery and like Mm -hmm. you're now with this new part of your body that you didn't have before, what was that process like? And were you like freaked out or was it and I I know we've we asked, I think during our pre podcast, Leah was like, What is it like living with like this wound and you're like we're like it's not a wound it's yeah like, it's not and we were like mind blown <laughs> so 
I mean, I think so. It, it was a very quick, um, like, decision to surgery, but it was still a couple of days. And, and um, you know, the surgeon, small world kind of story. So the surgeon being a family friend, his wife also has an ostomy. And so before my surgery, she actually came in and was she came in wearing these black tight jeans, I still remember. And she was like, can you see where the ostomy is? And I was like, no, I can't. And she showed me. And for me, like, I think based on how sick I had been and how long the process had been happening of me just getting worse, I had already kind of accepted that this was the next step. And I was less worried about what I would be dealing with after because it couldn't have been worse than I was already feeling. But it was really nice to have her show me. And I realized literally at the same time that a neighbor of mine had also had an ostomy, but I had not realized that when my parents said, oh yeah, this person who lives up the street, he goes to the bathroom in a bag. And I was like probably eight when I heard this, immediately I thought grocery bag. And like, it was taped to (laughs) his stomach or something. So like, it literally clicked when I saw the surgeon's wife being like, oh, that's what it is. That is totally fine. But I mean, I wasn't even worried because again, I was like, it has to be better than this. So going into surgery, I still like really didn't understand or comprehend what I was getting into. And I think it was better that way Mm -hmm. because I could have worked myself up more about it than would have been uh, like healthy for me and what's like I think it's kind of funny and I know my mom like hates when I tell this part of the story but the doctors had actually gone to my parents a year before I had surgery saying she should probably have an ostomy and my mom said to them my child would have an ostomy bag over my dead body and a year later I ended up needing one anyway because it was the only option and obviously you know Mm -hmm. it was the, the best decision but what's interesting and why I like created uncover ostomy I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit more is there wasn't enough information out there for my mom and me and my dad at the time um to like look at what it really meant and look at people who were living lives with an ostomy bag so they they didn't really know any better and it's gotten better but it's still very similar where doctors think that the ostomy is a failure on their part as a doctor because it's the last resort right that has changed a little bit in the community it's still like you know, do you really need to take out six feet of intestine if you can avoid it? But it's less like I failed and more like this is where we're at. So at the time, this was in 2003. Now you're going to do the math. I know how old I am. But <laughs> in 2003, the internet wasn't what it was. There was no social media. There, you know, wasn't someone like me posting. Half Wait, we're the exact the same age. You're 33. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I know because I'm always the age of the year. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, that's smart. Well, yeah, I was going to say, so I funny. worked in, I was an LNA um, for a few years when I was in my early 20s. And yeah, the only people that I saw with ostomy bags were over 80 years old. And mm-hmm. um, when I met you, I'm like, this, she is like living in something like that I've only seen as a, in a nursing home. Right. That like mm-hmm. they're in a gown. They're no, not wearing clothes. So it's not like like I don't think of all those things. I didn't think of those things. Yeah. And you had to. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, just amazing that you're like. So, yeah. So talk about Uncover Ostomy and like what, you know, how you kind of started that. Wait, Casey, before we get so, to that question, can I just say one thing for anyone listening who is studying mm-hmm. for their test potentially? Mm-hmm. Um, something that you brought up and which I can relate to also is, I mean, um, you said like at that point, like, okay, like give me the surgery, right? Like, and so for anyone studying for the exam, this is talking about MOs, right? We talk about MOs, motivating operations and how they change, right? In a given moment, like if you would have asked me 10 years ago, like, would you cut your fingers off? Whatever, you know, since I'm missing my fingers, I'd be like, hell no, it's the last thing over my dead body, right? And then you're in an increasing amount of pain, right? We know that increased pain is an unconditioned motivating operation, right? And at that time, you'll do whatever it takes to get out of that pain. Like I remember personally, like screaming at my doctor, like, please just take them off. Just take my entire hands off. Please, I'm in agony, right? So that just shows like at that point, And I'm saying there obviously was competing contingencies that weren't really competing, right? I said, like, you're 13 years old. A lot of people aren't wanting to be anything different at that point, let alone have something that 
makes them look physically different mm-hmm. in any way, which also we'll talk about that when you look <laughs> at Jessica on the outside, you would not ever know that that's something that, you know, she has or um, – and so just wanted to put that out there that MOs are always changing, right? So like something that you would say like over my dead body never one day in good health mm-hmm. – you might be begging someone to do that surgery for you another day when you're in agony. So that's one thing I wanted to add. And one other thing I wanted to ask you um, is if having a health issue, because like I know I developed lupus and health problems in college. So I was Mm -hmm. 22 and I felt that it made me have to grow up and mature even at the age of 22 quicker than like other people, meaning like I was thinking in college like, oh, no, I'm not going to go out and drink or I'm not going to go out and do this because I only have a limited amount of energy or like my health is this or – and like thinking about things I did and that was 22, right? And I felt like I had to like mature into like adulthood. Did you feel like you had to at all at the – like like you thought about things differently than like someone else like doing – Yeah, I mean I think at the time – I, I it, again, I was so sick. It was just about getting to whatever the resolution was. And in this case, it was ostomy surgery. I think it was after the surgery. I, I, I can't remember if I told you guys this, but there was something that happened and I still don't know what it was. But after the surgery, I woke up just being like, I am a different person, but not different because I have an ostomy, but different in who I wanted to be as a person. Whereas, as I said before, like, I didn't have a lot of friends. I was really awkward. I was really quiet and shy. I came out of surgery and I went back to school with the people I had grown up with, going to the front of the class and teaching them about ostomy surgery and saying, this is why I was gone. This is what happened. This is what I have now. If you have any questions, ask me. And the person I was before surgery would have been too afraid to be made fun of. But at that point, I was like, I survived death. I chose life. Like I made that mm-hmm. decision. So I need to lean into it and make the most out of it that I can. And and that's what I did. I think in terms of maturing, that was part of it. But mm-hmm. I also, um, I was, I feel like I have missed some of my childhood that I was almost underdeveloped in some cases. Like I wasn't drinking but it wasn't because I wanted to be mature. It was like, Emma, like, I just felt like I was a little bit behind. Like I wasn't partying. I wasn't doing all of that until I got to university. And then, you know, then I let loose because I wasn't living at home. <laughs> but I, I think it was more about shifting who I wanted to be as a person and focusing on that. And then, yeah, I guess there were some situations and I'm still like this today where you know, people, everyone has their own things. They have their own problems. They have their own issues. But sometimes I look at some people and what they're complaining about. And I'm like, I don't think I can empathize with that because I've been through a lot worse, even though I don't like comparing, but I feel like that's where it's changed me. It's like, you should appreciate what you have. and, And I do that too, but it's hard for me to feel bad if you know, you didn't get Taylor Swift tickets and you have to, you know, take a, a cry about it. It's like, I don't, I don't, I don't understand that. You know what I mean? So I think there's a little bit of a combination of things in there, but I definitely like, wasn't super, super mature at, at least at the beginning of university. I had a lot of fun. That's for you. <laughs> yeah. No, I yeah. Felt like I felt like I had to like be responsible and like, like, because usually when you're young, there's like this, like, I'm healthy. I could do whatever, you know? And it was like, suddenly I had to think about these things. But I guess mine also happened like in the middle of already living a specific life in college, you know? So it was kind of crazy. So I just wanted to And and you know what? I I grew up in a family that was very much about responsibilities and bringing home A pluses and getting things done on time. And so I think maybe, maybe I was more mature, but I was just, that was what it was expected of me. Once, once I was healthy again, then I got the expectations of my parents, right? They, they put it on pause while I was sick, but then when you're back to normal, all right, you have to, you know, get Mm -hmm. this grade and be home by this time and stuff like that. So I think I, I also had to follow those rules and I did. I will say that after like I think the last year of university is when I really got um I was the they made my my sorority sisters I was president of my sorority they made 
fun of me and called me Fun Grossman because I wouldn't drink. I would end up being the DD. I would have to take the drunk girls out of the frat house and drive them home. And they they asked me why I was being like that. And I think I think by that point I had had my fun. And, you know, I checked the box and I, that I, maybe I reached it a little earlier than some people. Maybe then that's that's how it worked out. Yeah. <laughs> so Grossman, were you able to like drink that. and do all those other stupid things in college in the beginning? Like other. Um, yeah. So so I basically did what every university student would do, I guess. Like I said, I joined a sorority, I partied, I drank, um, you know, I went, I, I don't know, I just, I did a bunch of stuff. Um, I think I, like, you can drink with an ostomy, but I, I realized a couple of years after that it probably wasn't a good idea to drink, but you definitely can if you do it properly. What I found out, which is hilarious, and again, this isn't for everyone, and it, it everyone's body works differently, but I would know that if I did like straight shots of vodka or something and I didn't eat, follow me here, the alcohol would actually leave my system faster oh. because I had nothing to keep it in, right? So like people get really drunk when they don't eat, but it's, it sits in their stomach, it goes through their intestines and gets absorbed. But I had so fewer intestines mm -hmm. that it would just pass. So like I could manage my alcohol a lot differently than someone else would, right? Mm -hmm. So... That was a fun, I guess, party trick. Just, you know, get a few, <laughs> few extra shots in or whatever. But like by the end of the night, I'd be like, I am stone cold sober and everyone else is falling all over themselves. So that was that was fun. That's a great <laughs> party trick. Thank you, Ostery. <laughs> One of the many benefits, you know, people don't talk enough about like the pros of having an ostomy bag because there are some you don't even think about. And it's like, that's one of them. Like my question <laughs> is, can you get constipated with an ostomy bag? Um, yes, but it, it's, it's called like a blockage because technically your like constipation happens in the colon, but because I don't have one, um, you can not digest food enough and it doesn't have enough to pass through to like be digested. So you get blocked up. Um, I don't know why, if that's like the clinical term or it has to be called something different, but that's just what it is called. Um, I've only had like a couple and never like full, full blockages, thankfully. Oh, God. Um, but then you just have to like have a hot pad, like drink a lot of liquid. You know, if you really have a bad one, you have to go to the hospital and they'll help flush it out and whatever. But I'm, I've over the past 20 years, I've learned how to manage pretty well. So I'm lucky. <laughs> Thank God. That was, that was my question. Yeah. All right. So I have another question again, and we're getting personal. All right. Okay. Ostomy bag, right? Yeah. yeah. People are listening. They might not have seen it or know what it is, but how does one go about letting their sexual partners know what that is? And how was that for you? Um, if you don't mind sharing um, for anyone that might have to go through this or has gone mm -hmm. through it. Um yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I start, I always start by talking about how to approach speaking about an ostomy and whether or not it's in a sexual context, just in general. People, especially who don't know that much about ostomy surgery or aren't related or connected to anyone that has one, they really don't know much about it, which I'm obviously trying to work towards, but they're going to take what you say as fact because you're the one that has one, right? Yeah. So if you go to someone and you say, I have this thing, I hate it, like, I wish I didn't have it, it ruined my life, the other person is going to say, okay, if that's how you think about it, that's how I have to think about oh, it, right? Yeah. But if you if you approach it positively and say, it saved my life, you know, sometimes it gets in the way, but like, it's fine, I can deal with it, they're going to be more accepting of it, right? Now, there's obviously the assholes out there that just won't mm -hmm. and you don't need to waste your time with them because they're horrible people and so, you know there's some people that just it's not their jam fine they're not meant to be with you right but as long as you're approaching talking about your body positively they're gonna hopefully and in most cases react the same way and that that is the same for any disability someone in a wheelchair someone blind like I've seen other people I have friends with other disabilities the ones that have the most friends are the ones that are open and honest and positive about what they have, right? So in the context of, you know, sexual partners, um, you know, this is still a situation where I got it so young that I hadn't really gotten to that point mm -hmm. before I had it. And so my experience is very different than a lot of men and women that I've talked to who 
come to me and say, you know, this is going to change my sexual relationship or it's going to change how I date because I didn't used to have it, right? So the way I've lived through it is a lot different and I want to clarify that because I only went into sexual relationships having an awesome, right? So when I first started dating, again, late bloomer, not having a lot of friends, growing up and eventually making friends, I didn't really date until I was 17. And I didn't date anyone in my high school because after I had surgery, I I had been isolated for so long that I didn't know how to have normal human interactions. And I was very awkward. I was overweight from the steroids that I had to be on. Oh, the worst. I, just, I was a mess. The moon oh, phase? The moon phase when you first, like with your auto, oh my God. It, but then you gain weight from it that even when your moon phase is gone, you're just overweight. Like I wasn't eating and I was still 50 pounds overweight wow. from the steroids, from the IV. Like I was a hot mess going into high school. And I went into a high school with a whole new group of people, not the kids I grew up with that knew my, my story, totally brand new people. Also didn't have much, many friends in high school. I was a big loser up until I went to university anyway. So I didn't date anyone in high school. And the first person I started dating, I met at my job, which funny enough, my first job was at Hollister and Abercrombie, <laughs> which you think hot, someone hot girl job, hot girl right? <laughs> Literally, I was blown away that I got that job. So that was the first thing. But then I had met all these new people, and I was in an environment where I was automatically accepted because you had to pass a certain test to work in an environment like that. And so the world of dating people opened used up to like talk up. about that. They'd be like, "Can you believe Haley got a job at Hollister?" Like I said that about myself. I couldn't I literally couldn't believe it. I was shocked. That was like so, you knew you peaked in life. <laughs> yeah, no. Tell me about it. Um so so yes, yeah, so I started dating then, but it was my it was my whole first experience with everything all at once, with friends, with new people, with a job, like everything kind of hit me at the age of 17 that I hadn't experienced before. And I was going into university away from, you know, Toronto. I was going to London, Ontario, which is two hours away. So I like knew I was approaching this as like a short term thing anyway, as already, you know, living my best life in, in the dating world. But it was still really terrifying for me because I, I had never told any person in the context of, of dating what I had. So I remember I was babysitting my cousin and the guy I was dating from that job came to babysit with me. Oh, and yeah. Uh, yeah, and we were just sitting on the couch and I was like, you know what, I think it's time I have to tell you about me and I, how I'm different. And I kind of just like blurted it out, like still positive, but like, I have this awesome bag, like, don't worry about it. it. This is what it is. I almost died, blah, blah, blah. Be right back. And then I went to the bathroom and I closed the door and I hung out in there for a couple minutes. And I was like, maybe he'll just leave. Like if he's not comfortable, <laughs> he can just leave. And then it's done. It's over with. Right. Um, but a couple minutes later, he texted me and he was like, are you coming back? Like, you know, I'm okay with it. Right. Aww. So that was kind of it. Yeah. You say, oh, but it turns out I was the side chick of a girlfriend that he had for a year and oh, didn't tell me about. I changed yeah. my so, awe. <laughs> right. But what, what I take away from that story is the awesome matters so little that you could still cheat on your girlfriend with someone with an Aussie bag. So there you go. Positive spin on it, right? I love so, your humor. Like, <laughs> so like after that and like it was it kind of it was fine. Like nothing really happened. And I learned like leaned more into myself, hot girl, Abercrombie job, like went to university, joined a sorority, and I just kept telling people. Like it it was less about dating. It was just this is who I am. Mm -hmm. I remember when there was sorority recruitment. They played the game like two truths and a lie. And one of my truths was I shit in a bag. <laughs> and my friend who came with me to sorority recruitment, she knew because she was uh, my roommate in university. She was like, like, she was fine with it. But it's like, is that something you really want to say at a sorority like recruitment event? Um, but they let me in. And like I said, I became president. So because of like the group of people I was going around and how I was talking about it, like people knew who Fun Grossman was. The boys knew that I had an awesome too. So it just kind of like that was like in university that was just known. And then at the at the end of my last year of university, I was on the front page of the school newspaper with my awesome showing. So, you know, everyone really knew. Um, but then after. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was saying I love that. 
Well, I, I, it was it was really a cool way to end my my university career. Um, but after that, you know, I I went to grad school. I was dating a guy long term that also didn't work out. So I wasn't really dating when I was finishing up my schooling. But after we broke up and I went back into the dating scene, this is after I had started Uncover Ostomy. So if you had Googled my name, it would come up, right? Like that is what you could find about me on the internet. And I was like, you know what? I did high school. I went through university. People already knew this about me. I don't know if I want to approach dating with it being the first thing they know. Like I didn't really date and like not have that be a thing. So I was going to try it. So for you a made little like bit a porno after, that came up first or something. Oh my god. <laughs> no, but fun grossman. Um, I know, right? <laughs> So for, for a little bit after that, I started dating people and I wouldn't tell them my last name. I'd be like, just, I'm just Jess. Just don't worry about it. And they thought I was like, like a serial killer. I'm like, just trust me. I'm just, please just trust me a little bit. And then after like a couple dates, I'd be like, okay, this is who I am. You can look me up. And then I would let them. And again, it didn't really matter. No one really cared about it. And then fast forward to meeting my husband who can hear me talking on this podcast and I'm sure he loves when I tell this story. <laughs> we both met each other at separate destination weddings at the same time at a resort. Oh my and gosh. We met. Yeah. And That's wild. Like, right. And I always say he knew I had an ostomy before he knew my last name. If you know what happens on vacation. Uh-huh. And then <laughs> <laughs> And then after that, we just kept hanging out. I had actually like not really explained it to him because I thought he was just going to be a vacation boyfriend situation. Mm-hmm. And then I, but I was like, I have this thing. Don't worry. It's a week. Who cares? Right. And then he kept wanting to see me and we kept hanging out. And then I realized I had never actually like properly explained it. Like he was like the hybrid of all the situations I had been in. Mm-hmm. And he, he came back. He's like, you know, I looked it up. Like, I, I think I am like, do you like do you have questions? No, I think I understand it. And that was that was kind of it. And that was my dating history. <laughs> and it worked out perfectly because now you're happily married. Exactly. And and I think like I said, the trend through all of that is I always approached it with positivity. I tried different ways. It was upfront, it was, you know, you weren't gonna know until we actually liked each other, or it was that hybrid of you kinda know, figure it out for yourself, I guess. And in all the cases I was just positive about it all throughout. And I I've never had a single guy not like have it get in the way. Right. And, and I know I've, I've said that before in other places and people are like, well, look at you. Like, of course, they're not going to, you know, <laughs> have a problem with it. But it's like it, it's not about how I look. It's about how I am, if that makes sense. Right. So and I think that just goes to any person's sexuality. It's how you are, how comfortable you are in yourself as a whole. Right. I'm agreeing so much with what you said, <laughs> because. I mean, <laughs> Yeah. First of all, I just like I think this is awesome for anyone to hear in terms of like an invisible illness. So like even before the ostomy bag, I'd say like mm-hmm. someone like as someone who has lupus and scleroderma and and you having Crohn's like like autoimmunity is a suck a lot of them and like yeah. no one knows what you're yeah. dealing with. Um and to everyone else on the outside, you could look like the girl working at Hollister, but like <laughs> so I think it's like great that you're doing this for awareness and we will talk about what you've done with this after. <laughs> But also something that I also like I like remember my thing after like I knew I had to get my fingers amputated. First of all, I can't imagine like seeing that surgery after. Like when they when they showed me my fingers for the first time after I got them amputated, I fainted. I literally was oh like Oh my god. It looked like it was like out of like a haunted movie. Like they took the bandages off. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what the fuck? Uh, <laughs> and like fainted. But and I remember being like, who's gonna wanna date me? Like I'm like like I felt like, you know, like I'm like I'm, I feel like I'm disfigured, like this, that, and at first I like I felt like so insecure about my hands. And I'm like I thought like every cashier was looking when I pay with my credit card when I do this when I you know, and so I would go to my way to tell them like yeah I'm, oh my god like crazy the doctors messed up on a surgery and then ended up like this and blah 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 and like they literally probably could give two fucks. I mean they would ask questions then because they're like wait doctors made a mistake and you lost you know whatever, and then. I remember like 
dating wise being like, I need to let people know immediately. Like I have like an autoimmune disease, Mm -hmm. but then it's like, you could let them know, but I always say like everything you said, like I connect so much. It's about the way you share something. Right. So it's like, if you let someone know, and like, I mean, also it took time for me understanding, dealing with my own illness of like, Mm -hmm. like, you know, you could present it as being like, I have this disease. It's like, Literally, I don't know when it's going to strike me, when I'm going to get sick. You know, I, I I might be like really ill. I'm in the hospital, whatever it is. But then like after time, it's like, okay, look, so I have this thing. Like now I present it as like, this is what I have. Um, Sometimes I go to the hospital and I refuel on fluids and I'm like a new person. I'm back the next day, you know, and it's the same way like someone, I always say like someone with like diabetes might be like, oh, I have this thing, you know, and like whatever, when my insulin gets low, I just like get this shot. And like, however you present it, someone else is going to perceive it. So like when you present yourself as like a really sick girl or a really, you know, like having a major issue, like people perceive it that way. And, you know. And they treat you that way. Like it's not just perceiving as they react to it. I met my husband at the time, like with 10 fingers. And then I had lost them during that. So that was a big part like of getting like it was something obviously getting divorced. That was something that really scared me, like thinking about putting myself back out there as someone with something, quote unquote, wrong with them. And, you know, like and I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to go out people like no one gives a fuck. Literally, it's all about the way you present it. No one's ever like, oh, I'm not going out the girl like who's like missing the top of her like middle finger and two pinkies, you know. Um, But I think it's all about the way you present yourself because people believe what you show them. So if you show them you're a really sick girl, they're going to take that. You know, if you take it as like, look, I have control of this. This is what I deal with. I mean, and also, I don't know if this is just like me being jaded. I'm like, everyone in life is going like their shit's going to hit them at some point. If it hasn't hit them yet, it's coming. Like, I guess I'm happy that like I've (laughs) I've I've been hit. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of just this – but when you said that, I was like, that is so true. Like, it's all about the way you present yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think it's important to note that if you're um, presenting yourself a certain way, people aren't just going to react, but they're going to treat you the way that you're asking to be treated, right? So if you're telling people that you're sick all the time, you might not get invited to hang out all the time. You might get treated with kid gloves. Like, you, you know, it's just be who you want to be tell people how to treat you. And then if people don't treat you that way, well, again, that's another way of knowing that they're not for you. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that both of you guys, based off what I, I mean, I clearly know Liat very well, but knowing you now is coming at it with humor. And I like with my trauma past or whatever, my childhood, like I always joke with Liat, like, She's like, oh, you're so funny. I'm like, thanks. It's my childhood trauma. Like, <laughs> I like, I use that. Like, I'm not going to be the victim and be like, oh, my God, I'm, you know, I was homeless and blah, blah, blah. Like, it's like I'm I use it as like funny. And mm-hmm. that way people around me when they hear the stories or when Liat asks me about them, I, you know, laugh and use humor. And sometimes people are like, Liat, like. That's like, don't ask her those things. And it's like, no, t- I'm totally fine. Like, and just how yeah. you present yourself is exactly that, like you want to be open and vulnerable and you also want to be perceived as like, I, I, I think like you can come at me with anything. You can ask me anything. I'm an open book. And same with you too. I feel like you're both. It also doesn't, this is my like thing. It also doesn't allow people to talk shit. Right. Yeah. It's like, talk shit about yourself. (laughs) It's like, like, you want to go talk about me, like missing my fingers, but like behind my back, like I fucking talk about it in front of you. So like, there's no reason (laughs) you need to, right? Like you don't need to go talk about my ostomy bag. Like I'm open about it. It, And it like, I've had friends make jokes about it to my face in front of other people. Like, but, but I uh allowed it in the way that I've made those jokes or I've talked about it they feel comfortable doing it, which means they're not going to do it behind your back because they can do it to your face. Right. Yep. So I think that's important. Totally. (laughs) Okay. So I just have two more questions that my brain went here um, that I was thinking. Okay. So when they, and these are questions that like, obviously probably people don't want to ask, but I have to (laughs) Um, just like go to bed tonight. Like, do they like seal off your butthole? 
Ah, that is a good question. God, I would never think of that. Wow. Casey also has butthole problems. So this is like really. Everyone knows I have a a anal issue. Not anymore. Uh, Isn't it better? It was a fistula tract that I needed to drain in for a year and a half. And it was very. They thought it was Crohn's. They did. And my Nana Mm -hmm. had Crohn's really bad. She actually died from Crohn's very young, um, like early 60s. And. I was like, I definitely have it. Like, there is just no way. And I went in yeah. and they did all the upper GI, lower, whatever. And mm-hmm. like, oh, it looks beautiful. I'm like, no, like, do it again. Like, you have no idea what I go through every day. I'm like on the toilet all day long. Uh, but I think yeah. it's just more of like anxiety and diet and all that other stuff. But, <laughs> so yeah, I had a butthole drain. It fell out on its own. So I don't know. I think I'm healed. Who knows? I don't have oh, any more money to go back to the doctor. So <laughs> Oh my God. Well, okay. So to answer the question about the butthole. So again, I somehow am in in my own different world. Things are a little bit different with me than most people with ostomies. So again, from my experience, but I, so when they took out my colon and small intestine, they did disconnect it from my rectum, right? Cause they took out the colon. That's Mm -hmm. what connects. And they close it up at the top, but they left it open. So apparently, and this is, again, this was 20 years ago, the reason for that was to leave open the option of connecting me again. Now, why in the hell they would want to connect me again when I'm missing six feet of intestine? I would literally be in the bathroom all day. Um, And also, um, I have Crohn's. Crohn's, there's no cure for Crohn's. So maybe there was some hope that there would be 20 years from now, but no, there isn't. Um, And the other reason, too, is that... um, when you mess with the rectum and you take it out, especially if I'm already missing six feet of intestine, that's more. And you don't even realize how packed together your other internal organs are. So it can cause um, like female issues. Like my uterus is already kind of tipped. It could be worse. You could have fertility issues, things like that. So they were like, let's just leave it. It's fine. But I was supposed to then have it taken care of years later because technically my rectum isn't being used. And even if you have an organ inside that isn't being used, it could die, it could get cancer. It's just not a good idea to have it still in there. So I still have Wait, a which is the organ? The, 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 the organ? rectum. The rectum. Okay. The rectum and, and my anus is all still there. Um, so normally what they do, and I think they force it now, I don't know if people have a choice, but they'll take out your rectum and literally sew you up. It's called the Barbie butt surgery. Not just on trend with the movie. This That's is literally what it's called. Like guys, like Barbie idiotic guys. Idiotic guys were like, girls don't poop. Like you literally could be like, yeah, I am literally Barbie. A Barbie butt. <laughs> just well, you it goes somewhere else. But yeah, so but apparently, like it it can be a very painful procedure and cause other problems. Again, especially if you're also missing that your organs like shift around, right? So I am technically supposed to have that done, but I've made an agreement with my GI doctor that as long as I keep getting it checked and everything is still okay, that it won't be touched. So it's still there. It's not in use. You can stick a finger up it if you want to. I don't recommend it. Um, Maybe you need to start using it. Other ways. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I mean, I do have the cleanest one on the, you know, east side. Um, yeah, I, I, because of how many problems I could get from having it taken out, it's like, do not touch, do not enter red tape locked, locked up. I just don't want to mess with it. So we call that an S Delta in the field, not available for any reinforcement or action. No, thank you. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Second question. My second must, so I could sleep. Can you feel when you're, so you still, I'm, you still urine. Urinate. Yeah. Like through, like that is through your vagina. Yeah, yeah, totally different system. You can have an ostomy, like a urostomy for your urinary tract, but for me, it's fine. They're totally different systems. And I felt like I was gonna get like canceled for that, being like, "You don't know female anatomy, Liat." I know, like I'm like still confused by like different holes, you know. (laughs) Um, But can you feel when you're going to the bathroom? So most of the time, no, because normally you feel it as it's happening, but right. I don't have, I don't have the nervous system in my stomach because it's just a piece of my intestine. Right. Um, I will say if I eat too much, sometimes it's like 
it like moves weird, but it's kind of like the same thing when you eat a lot and you can like kind of feel it moving around mm-hmm. and stuff. You're like, oh, I ate a whole burrito. I shouldn't have done that. Right. So it's kind right. of like the same thing. It's just where it is. It kind of, it might be the end of where you're feeling it. Right. But I don't actually like, I don't have a sphincter. I don't have the feeling. I can't control it because it right. doesn't have that piece. It's just a piece of intestine that just moves. So, so I just want to say, and this might be, my biggest fear is shitting my pants because I like have such bad <laughs> issues that like I always tell Matt like I have to try at least five times before we leave the house so that like if we're on a road trip I don't and like plan. um so like you're lucky that you don't have to worry about that <laughs> well that's that's what I said I'm like we don't talk enough about like the benefits of having yeah a that's pee, a pro right? like I'd like, be like hey let's go I'm good <laughs> when I have had stomach flus since I've had my ostomy piece of cake because it's like oh I don't feel well it'll fill up I'll go to the bathroom other than like having to literally sit in the bathroom all day I can go back and watch tv lay on the couch maybe for half an hour an hour Uh and then I go deal with it but it's amazing (laughs) see look at these pros we're just putting a spin on all of it I love it positivity awesome surgery everyone I love that. I always say, so I would say, you have to deal the like use the card you're dealt. Like I always exactly. tell them, I'm like, mm-hmm. I will always pre-board a plane, even though, like, <laughs> like it okay, just gets too cold why? in the back. Wait, 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 wait. Why do you want to pre-board? This is like an existential question for me. I want to be the last person on the plane. I do not want people walking by me. No, no, no. Because I fly Southwest. Southwest. Okay. Is, you the sooner you get you on, get a seat. Lose your seat. Wait, they don't give a signed seat? No. Oh. So like what? What no. airline? When you what? get on, if you get on last, you're like in like a back middle in the toilet. So Did you like not get a seat? Like is it literally no, first like, you have seat, on you might, plane? So it's okay. like it's like very it's like 24 hours before the flight you have to check in like the yeah. minute before on like, the minute and you on the still, minute, and you're it in- might be like your group C40 or something. And so anyways, every time I go to the And it's a free for all? Yes, and it's dangerous. Well, people and people, but like I've people, seen like could pay extra to upgrade. People can, like, if you have like their credit card, it's just like. But also because of my health issues, I only fly Southwest because you could cancel the ticket up until like a minute. The flight, mm. like the flight takes off. So like I've I just see. my entire you get college, all your credits. Like you never get charged. My entire college, okay. like. I paid so much in like canceled flight fees and changing fees mm-hmm. because when I got diagnosed with my health issue, like I couldn't travel, blah, blah, blah. And so, yeah. but anyway, so I'm always, I go to the airport and I'm like, yeah, it's like really cold in the back of the plane. I kind of need to get on earlier. And they're like, oh, well, we give you pre-board. I'm like, oh, you can, that's so cool. Thanks. Right. And so, but I'm like, you got to use the card. You're dead. like holds, I've been with her. I'm like, you're not going to get pre-board. She literally will hold her hands up to the, she's like, look it. This is what happened last time. I didn't get pre-board. No, I don't my think fingers that. fell off. I oh know. my like, god! No, no but I'm like, like you could see, like I have a circulation issue. Like, I have really bad circulation issues. Look at my fingers fell off, <laughs> and they're like, I, "Yes, ma'am." I I kind of agree, but I also disagree. I only and my husband probably he just left the room, but like I only <laughs> pull the card when I like really need to pull the card, like when I am in the TSA line and they are slow, and I did everything I needed to do to get there on time. That's not my fault that, you know, like I did what I need to do. If I like, if I really fucked up, I'm going to try not to, because like, again, I, I feel like a normal person. I don't Mm -hmm. feel like I need special treatment and I don't want to be seen like I need special treatment. I, you know, I joke that the government considers me disabled and that's why I'm, I'm disabled. I don't consider me that way. Right. So I think in the right circumstances, yes, but also I don't, I don't, want to be that person you know I just don't want to be looked at and be like oh she needs that special treatment she must be sick or something you know but like that once in a while I might if I really need to because you obviously never flown southwest if you flew southwest no I would that sounds <laughs> terrible that sounds like a terrible experience you obviously you ob- it, it shows that you've never sat in the toilet in like see <laughs> whatever in the back of the plane and like you're oh everyone God. taking a dump it's like Oh my God. Southwest is going to come for me now because I've never flown them. I mean, if they want to give me free tickets. You're maybe. like, I'm all for it. I'll post better. No, I don't Instagram. want them knowing that I did that. They're going to like look for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in <an> American Airlines. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. So I think the last thing is just tell people where they can find. No, you. no. Uncover ostomy. We have yeah, to talk I about know, uncover ostomy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So tell us, I want to know like when you started it, how it's going, what your mission is, um, okay. everything. I just love it. Okay. So uncover ostomy started from kind of what Liat was saying earlier about like there there's, or I guess I was talking about this too, about when you look at ostomy surgery, you just see 80 year olds, right? So mm-hmm. back 20 years ago, if you looked at the packaging of ostomy products, if you looked for the pamphlets that they gave you in the hospital, or you tried to look on the internet, it was just senior citizens. It was meant as people who can't control their systems anymore or have cancer, which was generally an older thing. Now everyone has cancer at any age, but back then that was really what it was. So as a 13 year old coming out of this surgery, I didn't know where to look or who to go to. And so I remember my, my parents found out about this ostomy um, support group, ostomy Toronto, and they were having this um, like product fair where you could try all these different products. And they wanted me to go and like get to know my community. And it was at this church. We, we go, I literally walk in, they let me walk ahead. I do like one round around the like center where everything is. And I walk out because every single person, every single booth, every single piece of marketing material was all 60 plus. And I was like, I do not belong here. I also didn't feel like I needed support. Like, like I said, I was, I was new life. I'm going to lean into it, but it was just like, if I needed it, where the hell am I going to go? So I took on the, the role of just talking about my ostomy surgery. Like I said, I was when I was in grade eight, I told everyone about it. In my high school, I would tell people about it when it was Crohn's and Colitis Awareness Month. I would literally sit during lunchtime. I'd be allowed to have a little booth where I'm not going to lie. I had the pictures of my surgery and people would come and be like, oh my God, I heard you have surgery pictures. Like I want to see intestines. And I would like show people, but talk about it. So that was my way of doing education and giving back. But it was in grade 12, I was in a media class and the the teacher gave us a project for the end of the year to just come up with any marketing campaign for any idea and present it to the class. And obviously I'm like, well, I'm the only one that's going to do ostomy. So I might as you know, well take advantage of it. And I created this poster of myself. I'm 17 at the time, wrapped in a sheet with my ostomy showing and it has words. I, I forget the exact um, stats now because obviously it's changed a lot, um, but it said something around like 300,000 Canadians have an ostomy and it was like, but you don't know who any of those people are because no one's talking about it, right? So I, it was just an ostomy campaign. It didn't really have a name. You know, I talked about it, presented how important it was to talk about ostomy surgery, blah, blah, blah. And I think I got like a B on it. And I was like, oh, okay, whatever. <laughs> hard ass teacher, hard ass teacher. Okay. But I passed whatever. And that summer I had, I was going to ostomy camp. So there was a camp in um, Calgary, Alberta that I went to before and I was going again, where that was one place I could find support. And they said it's an Easter Seals camp, people with ostomies go. So I went and it was my second time. And I brought my project with me. So I was like, well, you know, I put all this work into it. Let me, you know, show it around. And there was a volunteer there at the time who had his own organization. And he um, has climbed Mount Everest with an ostomy. And like, that's his shtick. And he's like, oh, this is really cool. Like, I want to talk to you about it. But we were at camp and whatever. And then I didn't really hear anything. Um, And then two years later, I'm not even joking. Two years later, it's like, very much right after my 19th birthday. And he contacts me. He says, okay, let's do something with this. And I was like, wait, this was like two years ago. Why are you contacting me now? He's like, well, cause now you're 19. And if you're going to post pictures of yourself on the internet like that, you have to be legal. So <laughs> after that, he helped me um, put together what became known as uncover ostomy. Um, we took professional photos similar where I was showing off my ostomy Um, And we created a website where I was just going to talk about my life. And I didn't really know what I was going to write about. And I didn't really understand at the time, like what it was going to do. But the purpose of it was for me to just say, hey, I'm at the time 19 year old girl. This is what an ostomy is. I'll talk a little bit about living life with having an ostomy, but also just living life. And by this point, I'm in third year university. Um, actually the, the, the month or uh, two months before the campaign launched, my dad actually had passed away. Um, so I had a whole bunch of like trauma and drama and like sorority stuff and school stuff and trying to balance all these things that 
I had a lot of stuff to write about and a lot of stuff to talk about. And it was beyond ostomy surgery. It was, oh, like I'm dealing with this guy I'm dating and he's being a shithead and, you know, I have to deal with school and sorority, but also I have an ostomy and like, this is what I wore to the party, you know? And I ended up creating this following of people that just liked my drama, I guess. But it had the undertone of like, look, she's normal or she's dealing with a lot of stupid men and annoying school stuff, but she also has an ostomy. And it it just started to grow and grow. And with the introduction of social media, like I started it before Instagram, but Instagram started, you know, started up and there was Twitter and obviously Facebook. And so what ended up happening is the campaign kind of grew into this thing where I became the poster child of showing off your ostomy on the internet. Like it had always there've been forums and stuff like that. But when I had come out literally with a photo of my ostomy, uncover ostomy posted on social media, and I already had an ostomy group of people that I was friends with, people commented, why are you sharing this? Like we ostomists, which is like the name for people with an ostomy, we don't need people to know that we have this. We don't need to talk about it. And I was like, this is exactly why we need to talk about it. No one knows what it is. And so I got a lot of pushback from the ostomy community, but from the non-ostomy community, everyone was like, oh my God, I want to know more. Like, what is this? Like, I want to read your blog. And it just kind of grew and grew and grew into suddenly you go onto Instagram, you go onto TikTok now and you search ostomy, the hashtag. And there's thousands and thousands of pieces of content that would never have been there, you know, since I started it in 2009, it's night and day. And I'm proud to say that I was like, the first person to oh, be geez. almost naked on the internet <laughs> to start this, right? <laughs> so that's Uncover me. <laughs> that's amazing. I mean, that's that amazing. is so huge because I have to tell you, like, and people – like, if I, like, saw a picture of you and, like, knew I was getting this, I'd be like, sick, dude. I'm getting this surgery. <laughs> because, like, I remember, like, when I had, like, flown up to Hopkins and, like, all these, like – they're like, oh, when your fingers are, like, this bad circulation, it's scleroderma. Here's a pamphlet. Oh, the yeah. pamphlet – the pamphlet, like the person's face, like was like so <laughs> triggered. Like it almost looked like like Picasso esque. And I'm like, oh, like how your face would transform or something. Yeah, and like I'm like, tightening. this is what I'm waiting for, you know. Oh and God. it's like, and I like, like you're petrified, you know. Mm-hmm. And so like, what you're doing is so important. Like I used to like type in, um, well, first of all, like you said about the support groups, the support groups, I'd be like. Like people like fully identify as it. They sign off yeah. like Liat Sachs, comma lupus, comma scleroderma, <laughs> comma fibromyalgia, comma finger loss in 2011, comma yeah. you know. And it's like that. And then so I would type in like because I was a big runner, I'd be like lupus finishes marathon. Well, yeah. like I'd look for the positive news or like the things to see that like were better. So like what you, like you've done is so amazing and. Like, maybe that even started the larger trend of, like, people sharing, like, way weirder stuff on, like, TikTok and stuff. Like, uh, <laughs> you know? I don't it, share weird stuff on TikTok. I, no, I I'm saying, like, now, TikTok. like, it's, like, I don't even feel like that is, like, crazy it anymore. Yeah. You know? Like, back then, it probably was, like, whoa. Um, but that's just yeah. – it's so cool what you've done. And I'm just so happy that we had you here. And – Thank you so, so much. Keep well, doing everything you you're doing. Me. Yeah. <laughs> I will say I'm a lot less bore or I'm a lot more boring than I was back when I first started my blog because I'm an old married woman now with a cat. <laughs> so there's there's less drama to follow, but I, I still am posting reels and, and posting to TikTok and my social media to show like, you know, I still have hard days. I still have days when things, you know, my skin is dealing with my Crohn's disease right now. Like I'm not cured. Um, I still have a chronic illness. The ostomy has helped it, but it's still something I have to deal with. But, you know, I show off the clothes I can wear or what I can do with it. And I hope that it continues to inspire people. Um, and, you know, I know it does for some because I get a lot of DMs on Instagram. People ask me questions, which I always encourage. Um, but I'm going to do it until no one wants to look at me anymore, I guess. <laughs> well, <laughs> any of our listeners... Um, want to send her a sweet uh, note of reinforcement. Okay. We always encourage that. Um, yeah. Just like we asked for five-star reviews. 
<laughs> Shameless. I would love that. I'm at Jess Grossman on Instagram and at Uncover Ostomy is the campaign. Awesome. We'll put so, that in the show notes too. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> Jess, thank you so much. I'm glad this worked out. Um, so am I. Thanks for coming and spending your time with us and sharing your story with our listeners. It means so much. And answering all the unfiltered questions. That- <laughs> oh, there, there's so many you didn't even cover. Like I'm sure if, if, if anyone wants more, again, feel free to DM me or maybe we do a round two of just weird ostomy questions. I Let's love it. That. I'm here <laughs> for it. I love that. All the weird questions you want to ask. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. You guys know where you can find us. You can find us online, Behavior Bitches. Yeah. You can find us online, Behavior Bitches. Is it Behavior Bitches podcast, our website? Behavior Bitches. You can find us on our website, BehaviorBitches.com, on Instagram, at Behavior Bitches Podcast, on Facebook, at Behavior Bitches Podcast. Bless my heart. And as always, love ya. Mean it. Hey guys, it's Liat and Casey. We just want to take a second to let you know that if you're thinking of being a millennial like us and starting your own podcast, there is a way. You can do your show without having to become an audio editing and production wizard. Because guess what? We don't know shit with that. But we have Alan at Pretty Easy Podcast who help us get started. He records our shows. He posts them. He adds awesome, awesome music and cool shit when we don't even know what he's doing. He sends us teaser episodes. He does it all. We just sit here and friggin' talk. We shoot the shit and you can record from home, your office, the park, a bathroom stall at work. It doesn't matter. He provides the complete podcast studio. All you need is a microphone and you're good. Alan caters to your schedule and gives you a producer for your show at your beck and call. He has been super flexible with our schedule. Whenever we need him, we go to Google Calendar. We just book him and he does all the hard work. It's like so incredibly easy. That's why it's probably called Pretty Easy Podcast. So be heard and have some fun podcasting like us. Go to prettyeasypodcast.com today.